we are live. Hello everyone, thank you for joining us for the first ever INC podcast. My name is Carl Bainbridge and I am joined by my, I think you've become almost a co-host to me, which is Claire Richardson. You know him better on YouTube as Uncle Joy MMA. Claire, how are you doing over there in, um, can we call it sunny Canada? Uh, yeah, it's sunny right now. It's pretty much, yeah, it's a sunny day. It's going pretty well. A lot of stuff is closing, but you know, it's pretty much the same as it is everywhere. It's not as serious as it is like L.A. or Toronto or anything, so it's nothing too crazy yet. I mean, those places are just 100% nobody out on the streets. It's actually so surreal. Even yeah. where I live, I mean, I live in the northeast of England, which is pretty much, it's pretty much like the Alabama of Britain. And we've got okay. no cars on the street whatsoever. Everywhere's just deserted but I'm, I'm grinding down I've got stuff like this which is keeping me interested uploaded a recent YouTube video which I'm very happy about um, hopefully we can get ourselves a few more viewers for that one we'll discuss obviously the YouTube things when it comes later on in the show when we're obviously trying to fill out a bit of time what I do want to talk about though is what you can expect from INC radio we've done a couple of episodes of this um, audio only which we personally enjoyed it's great to actually just get down there talk about what's been happening in the news talk about classic fights from years gone by but we were behind the curve so many places are doing youtube stuff like this and we just wanted we just wanted to provide a service for our audience now we did try a couple of live streams those didn't really work out so we took those on board and i don't think we'll be following up on that experiment for a long long time uh, we tried being Joe Rogan, so instead we're going to be Luke Thomas and Brian Campbell. Which one would you rather be? Probably Luke Thomas. I like the way that he approaches things. Do you call people donks? No, probably not. But I like the way that he approaches things from a different angle. He doesn't really talk like any other MMA media guy. He's, sort of, he's a lot more honest, I feel like. We'll be trying to sort of add our own take on what's been happening in the world of mixed martial arts. We've got ourselves a few topics we'll be talking about. And the big one is obviously what's been happening in the past seven days regarding what should be our next UFC event. UFC 249 should be just around the corner, but there has been a lot of news recently which may very well be affecting that. As you can see there, we've got our fancy graphic which is showing up on screen there. Trust me, OBS is so hard to fathom out. I'm just trying to get my head around this. <laughs> so this is the state of play as things stand right now. Now the big story happened last Monday, which was that Khabib Nurmagomedov had returned to his family over in Dagestan, Russia. And then of course the Russian government has said nobody can leave the country. So that pretty much locked down Khabib and Khabib's now basically saying he has no interest in fighting Tony Ferguson. That's how things stood at that moment in time. It then came out on Wednesday, which said the flights to the US would be allowed by the Russian government in extreme circumstances. <laughs> yes. yes, this is an extreme circumstance. So, in theory, Khabib Nurmagomedov could very well fly to the US yes. to compete against Tony Ferguson and save UFC 249. As things stand right now, Khabib says he is interested in taking that fight. However, because he doesn't know the location of the event, he doesn't want to commit, which makes sense from that regard. On the UFC's perspective, they're trying to paint it out and say that they knew that Khabib wasn't going to be fighting for a long time. 
uh, Justin Gagey's name has been put into the mix. Apparently, I mm. believe he is formally. I believe Tony Ferguson has formally been offered Khabib Nurmagomedov. Not Khabib Nurmagomedov. Tony Ferguson has been formally <laughs> offered Justin Gagey. Uh, Justin Poirier has mm-hmm. thrown his name into the mix. There's a couple of fighters as well who are gesturing to say they want to fight each other. Uh, Kamara Usman, Jorge Masvidal, um, Gilbert Burns, Colby Covington, uh, Tyron Woodley. Just some of the names which have been thrown around in the mix. I'm going to ask the question which is basically on our screen here, which is, is this show going to go ahead? And if so, what sort of event are we going to be getting? I feel like it'll probably go ahead. I think it will most likely be in Florida. I think they said Florida or whatever they were looking at. Maybe I don't see them going all the way to like, I think Belize or Belarus. One of them said that they had an arena that would definitely host them. Like 15,000 people, they said, could go there. So it sounds like you pay them enough money, they'll go. But I, I don't really see them going all the way to Belarus or Belize. I, I think they're going to try and get it done in someplace like florida so i feel like if it does happen we'll probably get definitely gilbert burns fighting somebody on there like definitely gilbert burns in the co-main against colby or woodley somebody he's definitely going to be fighting somebody i feel like that's the guy that's going to capitalize the most on this situation if it does with the, ima- end up with the amount of times that she fights i wouldn't be surprised if you do gilbert burns versus angela hill <laughs> yeah she just fights like, all the time point. But one, yeah. one of the big things I want to bring up, though, is yes, there is still an outside opportunity of Khabib taking that flight and going wherever it is to face Tony Ferguson. Mm-hmm. My big issue from a fan perspective, as well as the safety perspective that goes with that, but I'm not really all that motivated to watch this fight. There's just so much going on that I just think to myself... Do you really, are we really going to get the full MMA experience by having Tony versus Khabib, as good as that fight could be, in an empty arena on tribal lands in Florida or wherever, or Belarus, Belize, wherever? It's not going to be the same experience. And I don't think people's appetite is going to be there because, yes, people could say, well, there's no other sport going on. This show will do massive numbers. It's Tony versus Khabib. But... We've got so many people who've lost their jobs or are earning 70, 80% of their wages. The last thing those people are going to want to do is pay 60, $70 to watch sport. Yeah, that's a good example. Like the casual market isn't going to want to pay that much money right now for something like that, especially considering. Do they still do that? It- SD and HD like separate prices like that's that's ridiculous that they do something like that so I, I don't see them making it free like I, I couldn't see them doing Tony versus Khabib on ESPN like if they did do that it would probably work with what they're thinking but I don't, I don't see Dana accepting to do that on free cable I mean even the Brasilia card where there was no other sport happening yes it was empty mm-hmm. arena but that did awful numbers for ESPN. I think that did the yeah. lowest numbers um, so yeah. far in the ESPN deal. I just don't think people's minds are in the right place to be watching sport right now. As much as I would love to see this fight, I think the best decision from the UFC's perspective would be just give up on 249, and dare I say even give up on 250. Wait and see what happens oh, at the okay. end of the month, and try and put your attentions towards... 
either the June or July pay-per-views and make that your big coming out celebration. Okay, the UFC is back and we've got ourselves a mega super card which is going to make people forget about the past three months. Okay, yeah, I could see that. I believe uh, Rise and they had to cancel their last event. They're planning on doing a, a massive card in June. So that's a that's a pretty good strategy. They said that they're trying to combine all, all other organizations that they can in that. So it's, that's a pretty good strategy. But I don't, I don't see the UFC doing something like that, like inviting other organizations, obviously. But I feel like when it does come back on a pay-per-view, it will be a massive card. I feel like they're going to try and pull together all the fights that were canceled and try and set them up on one big main card. I do know that... The UFC are trying to persevere. 249, obviously, in the question. Mm -hmm. It has just been announced in the past couple of days that the intention will be to hold 250 in America. So the Brazil card, which was yeah. planned for May, that's going to be taking place. If it does, likely will be in Florida. I know that uh, I know that Nunes and Felicia Spencer, they're both based in Florida. They both agreed to get over there straight away. No news on what's been happening with Jose Aldo. One thing that was pointed to me out on Reddit, however, was, I think it might have been read in one of the social media places, which was a big factor in Jose Aldo getting that match with Henry Cejudo was because he was a popular Brazilian who was going to be fighting in Brazil. Mm -hmm. That was, yeah. I would say that was about 60-70% of the reason why Jose Aldo got that title shot. However, if the fight's not taking place in Brazil, there's no reason to do that fight. Yeah, that would be quite strange, honestly, to set up a fight like that and have it in Florida or something. I guess Nunes versus Spencer does sort of make sense because they both technically like live there now. Like I, I know Spencer is. Doesn't she live in Florida as well? I think she so, lives in Florida. Yeah. So that could pretty much technically work for them. But although the main selling point is normally. Sao Paulo, they're, they're normally in the big capital in Brazil, so... And I believe Aldo does his training camp, he still lives down there, so the the restrictions on getting Jose Aldo over into America were going to be, I would dare say, quite difficult. I just, mm. But I think from a bantamweight perspective, and I've said this for a long time, I think bantamweight is one of the most competitive divisions in the UFC. And... In my opinion, I would much rather see someone like uh, a, Pe a Piotr Jan, Aljamain Sterling, Corey Sandhagen, and someone like that. I would love to see them versus Cejudo rather than Jose Aldo. Yeah, I, you could potentially set up that Jan fight or set up Jan versus uh, Sandhagen. Or you could maybe dig up Dominic Cruz from his... Um, commenting duties and set him up against somebody like i, I want to see him fight again but i don't know each time he says that he's coming to fight and he says that he's fighting somebody something always happens so i don't know what you could set up with dom but i could see some good matches being set up if they do it properly like all those shouldn't be tossed in this quickly <clears throat> I'm glad you mentioned uh, Belarus a little bit earlier because in the past couple of hours mm -hmm. it was announced that the Belarusian government have formally thrown their hats into the mix to say, hey, if you do <laughs> want USC 249 holding, we'll be willing to do that. We've got 15,000 seater stadium. We don't have any of those restrictions. Mm -hmm. uh, Belarus's attitude uh, towards this has been very strange. Everyone else is in lockdown, <laughs> not going anywhere. 
Yet, yeah, they're throwing out the, the, the normal stuff and saying, hey, wash your hands, just take care of yourself. But they're still holding football events. They're still holding um, arena shows, all that sort of thing. It's, it's treated as a non-issue over in Belarus. Yeah, it's quite a strange situation, honestly. Do you feel like they're trying to like capitalize on it? I just, I don't want to get too political, but I, yeah, from what I've heard, the Belarusian president is known as a quite an eccentric character. So I think <laughs> okay. he might just be a bit dismissive of the warnings in the way that someone who's maybe a bit more sensible might not be. But again, there's probably going to be loads of Belarusian people who are going to be. Uh, listening to this, and my face will be on like, countless <laughs> wanted posters all over in Minsk. Yeah, honestly, maybe they could set up uh, 250 Belarus. That would be perfect. Who would headline that card? I mean, who... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't know. <laughs> You'll have to give me a bit to research Like, I was that. thinking about, like, great <laughs> Belarusian fighters. Obviously, you've got Andrei Olovsky, but I think that's the only name that really mm-hmm. comes to mind. Yeah, maybe Arlovsky headline it. <laughs> Arlovsky versus Steep here too, the revenge, the, the rematch everybody wanted. Yeah, that would be a good idea. There you go. Now, of course, we not only have we been struggling with the whole issues of UFC 249, uh, there's also been stuff which has been happening in the world of MMA away from the non-events which have been taking place. Now, we, for a long time, felt we were going to struggle to try and fill content on this show. It's a big part of the reason why we missed a couple of weeks. I noticed some podcasts which are sort of taking a bit of a break, trying to do other ventures. So we were struggling for content. And then on Thursday, we get Jonathan Dwight Jones. <laughs> Talk us through this one, Claire. Well, yeah, I believe he got uh, pulled over for drunk driving. He had a gun in there, in his glove compartment or something, I believe. But yeah, there was a, I believe, body cam footage of it released as well. You can see him talking about how he's just trying to, what was the exact words? I don't want to butcher it, but he said that he was doing something good for the homeless and stuff. He was trying to roll the police. Yeah. (laughs) But it's just a tough situation, you know? I liked uh, what DC talked about it. He talked about it a little bit in detail. I liked his viewpoint on it. It's just hard to really talk about it, you know, it's his own life, you know. I, I don't like trying to be all political and trying to be all morally high groundish, but I remember you said that you think you should be stripped for this. Not necessarily for this moment, it's more of an accumulation of different misdemeanors. It's sort of like if the hit and run incident or crashing his car was sort of like a yellow card offence, this is the second yellow card. I think it's it's got to the stage with John Jones, in my opinion, where even though he is a fantastic fighter, and even though he brings in big buy rate, he is still one of the biggest strong stars in the sport. The baggage that goes with him is neutralizing that. And I think it started to get to the stage where I think the UFC could maybe take that sacrifice and say, hey, we, we don't need John Jones anymore. Let him sort out his issues away from us. If he does that, we might bring him back. Okay, I can see your viewpoint on that. But I think a big factor in that, I think a big factor in why the UFC won't let him go. Actually, there's two factors. Again, I'm going very Luke Thomas here. 
the curse is starting. Um, there's two big factors. Number one, I think that if John Jones wants to become a free agent, you can be guaranteed that Bellator will pay the big bucks to bring him over there. And it will do John Jones oh, yeah. versus Ryan Bader on a big pay-per-view. <laughs> Oh yeah, I can see uh, Scott Coker saying like this is the biggest Bellator fight of all time. <laughs> I can I see think him. Probably would be. Yeah, that'd be a pretty good fight to be honest in a Bellator cage. But I, I don't see that happening for for a while unless he does something. Unless he does something like two weeks from now, like he does the same thing basically, or he ends up hitting somebody here. Ends up knocking a guy out outside of the strip club or something like that. Like, yeah, I don't really see anything like that happening. But this Coker would be all over that. I don't see any other organization he would go to. But here's the other factor as well, which is, and again, I'm putting two and two together to make five. Could it be that we know that John Jones has had personal demons away from the octagon? But I think being in a training camp and having that sort of strict discipline of being a fighter is one of the reasons why he's not worse than what he is. So if you were to release John Jones and leave him with those demons, who knows what he could potentially do? You could make, yeah. you could make the argument that it was the same thing with BJ Penn. BJ Penn was always on his best behavior when he was at a training camp preparing for a fight. And once he was out of the camp, that's when all the issues started with the machete and then fighting the bouncer. Mm-hmm. And I believe I believe BJ said that he's retired on who was it Tito Ortiz's Instagram live. So we won't be seeing any more brutal BJ pen matches. So that's one good thing. I'm actually relieved mm-hmm. because I had this awful fear that BJ was going to go into Benacle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. But not anymore, thankfully. Thankfully not. Where do you personally stand on John Jones? Are you one of those people who thinks he should get another chance, or has he crossed the line with you? Well, I feel like he's definitely gotten better, in my opinion. It's not nearly as bad as it used to be. You're not hearing as many crazy stories. So, in my opinion, I feel like he's gotten better. So... Yeah, my ticket on him is he's definitely... I don't want to say he's like a complete role model. He has the foundations there, but I feel like he just doesn't really know exactly what he wants to be. I think but it's hard the, to talk about it, you know, I you're not the guy. I think one of the things that maybe the UFC should do, and again, I, I like to think about the business side of the sport, is I think one of the things that rubs a lot of fans the wrong way is that we have all these stories about what John does, John Jones does away from the octagon. But the UFC continued to paint this line and say, oh, he's not that bad of a guy. He's actually, he's a changed man now. When they wheel out these patsy interviews for people like Ariel Helwani saying, oh, John Jones is a changed man now. He goes to all these school meetings and he's a lovely gentleman. Instead, why don't they just go, hey, he is the guy you love to hate. Fantastic mm-hmm. fighter, the controversial one, the the bad boy of the octagon. Embrace that, heal them. Because you're still going to get people who are going to be tuning in, paying the money, to want to see him lose. That was one of the things that Floyd did fantastically as a boxer. 
Yeah, I do feel like there is some of that bias going into a John Jones fight. It's, so I see that a lot with Khabib. A lot of people just want to see Khabib lose. That was a huge thing during the Poirier fight. I remember everybody, everybody wanted Poirier to win that fight because it was just a perfect star alignment for Poirier. Like that would have been perfect, man. He would have been a huge star if he managed to pull that off. So I don't know. I feel like the John Jones. Like loss bias is still there, but it's not. It's not nearly as strong. Like each fight I go in, I'm like, it'll be interesting to see him lose. But when he puts on a show, I'm not really complaining about that. I think that moment's getting closer though. Mm-hmm. And I, be honest, again, I'm putting two and two together to make five. I don't think John Jones has looked great since you started came in. Mm-hmm. I mean, he looked. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he dominated against OSP, but he should have been finishing a short notice OSP, and yet he mm-hmm. failed to do so. I think DC was very competitive at 2.14. Now, the Gus performance, I'll let him off the hook. He looked fantastic against Gus. And then we had struggling to finish Anthony Smith. Split decision against Thiago Santos, arguably losing against Dominic Reyes. Mm-hmm. You could definitely see in the Santos fight that something was a little bit off there because Santos was hurt really bad. Like both of his knees were out pretty much, and John just didn't capitalize for some reason. He just didn't jump on him. He definitely se- didn't make any sense. He definitely seems to lack that self belief he did earlier on in his career. Mm-hmm. He started he started doing something which I remember Tim Sylvia saying, which is when a fighter is on the way up. They compete to win. When a fighter is mm-hmm. champion, they compete not to lose. Mm-hmm. That's a good mindset. That definitely makes sense. I th- personally, I think, I think when it comes to John Jones's next offense, all roads seem to be indicating that they will be going with the Blahovitz fight. I see him beating Jan okay. because I, I don't think Jan has the skill set to cause John problems, aside from having that one big punch and. Don't get me wrong, Blachowicz is a hell of a lot better than he was, say, three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. I don't see him having that sort of style and that skill set in the way that a Dominic Reyes or a Thiago Santos does to cause John the problems. I say that because one of the stories that's been going round is doing the idea of potentially uh, Dominic Reyes versus Thiago Santos. And depending on which way the UFC go with John Jones, that could potentially be an interim title match. Mm-hmm. I believe I brought that up earlier on the podcast. I said they should do Santos versus Reyes again, so that'd be a good uh, that'd be a good idea. I don't know about the interim title. I don't know if they set that up on like let's say two forty nine or something. Maybe they could set up the interim title, but if they set it up like let's say like November or something, there's no point for that. They should definitely just say it's a title title eliminator that would be a good idea for a fight well we know that uh, well we don't even know if Thiago Santos is going to be ready for the next two or three months yeah so you know we'll be waiting a bit that being said on that subject of Thiago Santos did you see what um, a lot of the Jackson Wink girls were doing on April Fool's Day no all of them were they doing? all of them were like conveniently saying like I've got some dramatic news I'm pregnant <laughs> so you sort of see Michelle Watson announcing it and you think, oh, good for her, congratulations. And then when you see Kunitskaya and Thiago Santos <laughs> announcing it, you're thinking, hang on a minute, something's up here. 
That's funny. I gotta look that up. <laughs> What's your opinion on um, how, in general, with sport? How how should how should sports companies handle pregnancy to its athletes? Uh, I don't know. That's a touchy subject because I'm not a girl, so <laughs> I don't I don't know. But paid leave is definitely a good answer to that. Yeah. Because I know that was a big subject with Serena Williams when it comes to tennis about provisionals and how they should be reintegrated after childbirth, etc. But maybe, hey, one day we'll get ourselves like a female expert on um, on the sport and maybe that might be a more appropriate question for them. An appropriate question for you, though, is what we're going to be talking about with topic number three. Now, I know you're the big man when it comes to rising Japanese MMA. Um, the UFC did announce one of the big stories that did come out this week was the signing of their most recent acquisition, a former Ryzen champion, which I hope I get this right, is Manel Cape. Yeah, that's Manel Cape. That's perfect. He was a uh, bantamweight champion. He wanted uh, New Year's Eve, this New Year's Eve. And I believe beating uh, Kai Asakawa, who is uh, regarded by a lot of people sort of like the, the Nate Diaz of Japanese MMA. Yeah, he was the uh, Koji Horiguchi killer. He was the only guy to knock out Horiguchi after people were considering Horiguchi to be like the number two bantamweight in the world at the time. A lot of people were saying the only person to beat him would be Cejudo. A lot of people were thinking he'd end up going to one championship and dominating there and then somehow going to the UFC. And then Kaya Sakura and just short notice a lot of people thought it would be a squash match he just stuns the world and he takes him out and that was huge huge upset that was massive never heard you think uh japanese crowds are quiet definitely watch that fight that was insane a lot of yelling a lot of yelling in that fight i think my favorite japanese crowd of all time was when vandalier fought brian stan mm-hmm. the crowd mm-hmm. were on their feet for that one that was a fantastic fight Oh yeah, that was an amazing, amazing fight. I tell you what, Brian Stan's one of those guys that a lot of people forget about, but he could brawl. He was a fantastic mm-hmm. fighter. Entertaining mm-hmm. as well. And I know he obviously had the commentary gig with the UFC, but he's gone on to passages new. I think he works in the world of business now. So, which, fantastic job. Very intelligent man as well. Mm-hmm. He's probably making a lot more money than any of the other commentators right now. That's a man who looks like he knows how to invest. Certainly so. <laughs> Now, there are going to be a lot of people who maybe aren't as uh, clued up on Japanese MMA in the way that you are. What sort of fighter can we expect uh, Manel Cape to be? A lot of the times I like to compare him a little bit to Colby Covington, but without the politics. And it's actually real. Like, that's his real personality. He's always always a bright personality. Like, I feel like if he gets a huge win in, in his debut, that will be tremendous for him because they'll give him the microphone and that's that's exactly what he likes and in Japanese MMA they always seem to cut him a little bit short and he, he's not pervy on Japanese language like he's not fluent so if he gets a big win and Buffer puts him on the mic that will be perfect you'll expect a bright personality sort of similar to Colby but not not really that much of a dick. Like he won't really curse out a whole country, but he's definitely a bright personality. So it's Colby more in terms of his personality rather than his actual fighting style. 
Yeah, his fighting style is completely different from Colby. He definitely does have some really good wrestling, but he's way more explosive, a lot more explosive. You know, I remember in the uh, Kaya Sakura fight where he won the title. It's a silent arena, so you can hear pretty much the coaches perfectly, and the whole time his coach was just yelling, explode, explode, when you see that opening, explode, and that whole time you just rush with a bunch of shots and try and knock him out as quickly as he could so you'll be seeing a lot of that a lot of explosions in his movement explode explode get inside that's what she said mm-hmm yeah expect that <laughs> forgive me one of the things i've been doing during this lockdown is re-watching the office mm-hmm mm-hmm what do you that's think of the show. what do you think of the ufc's recent acquisitions because the Cape isn't the first guy that they've signed from Ryzen recently. Obviously, we've had uh, Yuri Prochavska, who was also been signed. Um, do you like this? Do you like the way that the UFC are targeting places like Ryzen to try and get their top talent? It used to be the WSOF, where they got play people like, obviously, Gagey, Marias, David Branch as well, uh, Blagoy. Um, and each of them had their own levels of success. I'm going to say... Mm-hmm. Are we going to see people like Cape and Prochaska mingling in with the top fives and the top tens of the UFC? Uh, yeah, definitely. Another good example to bring up is um, Rosenstrike using Ryzen as well. So that's pretty much the best example right now. He's in the top five as well. But I, I don't believe like his fight in Ryzen, like, he didn't win a title or anything. He just showed off a lot of power and explosivity. Like, I don't believe in his contract. They promised him, like, a top five opponent or anything. They built him up. Like, you know, they fought. he fought that guy who uh, gave a... Who was that? Greg Hardy, his DQ loss. He fought that guy Alan in his Crowder. debut. Yeah, he knocked out Alan Crowder in, like, eight seconds or whatever. That was his debut. So they definitely built him up. But I believe with Manel and Yuri, they're getting, like, uh, top five opponents. Manel definitely said that that was in his contract. So you'll be seeing a top five matchup at, I believe, Flyweight? He's I've a heard Flyweight. I've heard Flyweight, but... Yeah, it's strange. I think at Ryzen they use the one championship style hydration tests. Oh, okay. So even All though right. they... I think with a proper UFC style weight cut, they could drop the extra 10 pounds. Okay. And I know that Prochaska was supposed to be fighting uh, Volkan Uzdemir. That was going to be main eventing a European fight night. So it goes yeah, somewhere like... Yeah, that was probably uh, in like uh, Prague or something. They were probably going to have it around there. Yeah. Volkan sort of become the go-to guy for that. Mm-hmm. Like if you need somebody to headline a European fight night, it always used to be... Like it was Volkov for a long time. They would always throw Volkov on if they mm-hmm. wanted to headline a show in say Berlin or... Or just some sort of like mid-level heavyweights. Because wasn't it Arlovsky and Barnett headlined in... Uh, I'm tempted to say it was, it, was, it was Germany or Poland somewhere like that that was the one where they sort of dropped each other in the first 30 seconds Arlovsky versus who? Uh, Josh Barnett oh that must have been a long time ago then uh, the Barclay Arena in Hamburg Germany Hamburg Germany yeah. I knew it was one of those Apparently, from what I remember not the greatest show in the world but Mm-hmm. You know what, I, I have the time for those European cards. Obviously, they're around my end as well, so it's easier for us. But more often than not, personally, the the regional fight nights I enjoy the most are the Asian cards. Because mm-hmm. most of the time, they'll stack the um, sort of prelims with just local fighters. 
And those guys just have nothing to lose, and they just go all out. Yeah, like I, a lot of the times you'll see that. <laughs> like I remember one of my... I actually included this when I did the list of the 10 greatest flyweight fights. I uh, I had number three, Roldan Sancho-Arn versus John Delos Reyes. Now, these okay. guys didn't achieve anything, but honestly, watch that fight. It is so entertaining because they just go all out swinging. All right. Which card was that? That was uh, Fight Night Philippines. Oh, wow. Okay. Which I'm tempted to say may have been uh, Uriah Faber versus Frankie Edgar. Uh, uh, yeah, that was. Yeah. Yeah, and that was like, I think that was like the first or second fight on the entire card. It was flyweights, unranked flyweights on an Asian fight night. And it's one of the best flyweight <laughs> fights of all time. Wow, alright. We'll have to check that out. One of the things that Manel Cape signing has done though, and especially if he's going to be fighting a flyweight. There was mm -hmm. a lot of renewed interest in this division from the UFC. Because if you remember mm -hmm. during Mighty Mouse's Eva, and even before Cejudo versus Dillashaw, all expectations were, oh, if TJ wins this fight, which he was expected to do, they're going to close that division. Because TJ would have had no interest in defending that belt. But they started re-signing a couple of the flyweights again. You've got people like... Uh, Davison Figueredo, Alexander Pantoja, Brandon Moreno starting to come to the fore. That division has started getting very interesting again. I don't see it ever being like a big buy rate pull, pulling in millions of viewers in front of 60,000 people. But the UFC are caring again. Mm hmm. Yeah, it would have been a damn shame if they closed that because I always thought back in the day that uh, flyweights are bad to win. They weren't always uh, mostly flyweight. They weren't always the the most exciting, but outside of the UFC at the time, they were always crazy good. Like Ryzen, they're always putting on huge tournaments with their bantamweights that are pretty much flyweights when they get signed, and they're always having like 16-man tournaments. I heard that they're planning a 32-man tournament if they manage to get over this coronavirus crap so it's crazy i always thought that that's such a good division if the ufc just sticks with it and actually branches out and looks at some of these other fighters and other divisions and other organizations you'll get something and that's slowly what they're doing i think so. i think the thing that's always hurt the flyweight division for me is that i think there's two factors one i think you reach a threshold where you see guys who are just too small for the American audience to take seriously. I think with bantamweight, you can just about get away with it. But a mm -hmm. flyweight, when you're dropping those extra 10 pounds and you're seeing guys who are like five foot four and five foot three, it's quite hard to take seriously. I, one of the jokes <laughs> that always went around was uh, people calling it hobbit weight, which yeah. is harsh, but at the same time quite funny. But I think also as well, on the whole, Flyweight is quite a grappling heavy division, which again mm -hmm. sort of appeals to the Japanese audiences who are a bit more technical. But the mainstream American, the average show on the street, they just want to see big wild knockouts and the flyweights mm -hmm. on the whole don't really give that. I think that has changed slightly. I think especially with the likes of Davison and if Manel Cape has that sort of wild brawling knockout power in the same way you say he does, that could very well change some of those perceptions. Absolutely, you set him up with the perfect fight off the bat. Maybe if they, if he somehow gets to fight Figueroa, I guarantee you that would be 
one of the most talked about UFC fights of all time. I can guarantee you that. They both got crazy heavy hands. I think I think all expectations are that they're going to rearrange Benavides versus Figueredo. One of the early okay. ideas I heard was it being on UFC 252, which that would have been International Fight Week. Usually they do mm-hmm. free, free title fights on that card. So that would have sort of filled the sort of there would always be like some sort of women's fight. Like the women's fight was always the third fight okay. on the free fight title card. I could see Benavidez Figueredo filling that slot and then having, well, in my ideal world, you'd have something like, say, see, that's where it gets tricky because in my opinion, <laughs> Usman versus Masvidal, which would have been my sec- choice for the corner, yeah. that in my opinion is big enough to headline its own pay-per-view. I believe before all this went down, that was actually in talks to happen around that time, like in June. That was the intention, and then I think something happened on their end, which where the UFC went very quiet about it, and started to ease up mm-hmm. the idea, and I wonder if they had plans to do Conor vs. Gagey and have that headline fight week. Mm-hmm. But now who knows what's going to happen Who knows what's going to happen? Like you said before, we could very well be getting all those title fights, which was expected to happen, or all those big main event matches. That could all be on one card. You could see Nunes versus yeah. Spencer headlining the prelims. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that would be a good business decision for them. I could see the reaction from Nunes if she gets bumped to the featured prelim bout of the evening. <laughs> We did mention flyweight and obviously some of the changes happening in that division and how, dare I say, maybe tides are turning towards how people perceive it. And those tides may very well change if this next line of um, thinking is correct. Now, one of the stories going around is that Cody Garbrandt was interviewed, I believe, by ESPN and he was talking about his fight with Rafael Asunsao. Now, that was supposed to be happening, I believe, on the Columbus card. Obviously... Mm-hmm. Garban dropped out with injury even before all the fights were cancelled. Yeah. He still intends for that fight to be rescheduled, but one of the things he said during that interview was that he was open to the idea of going down to flyweight. Yeah, that's such a strange option for him. Now he's going to have to rebuild basically a couple wins if he does that. So, I don't know. It's quite a strange analogy. Depends, like got to be thinking what's going on with his weight cut and stuff. Well, from what I've read, um, these figures were from the California State Athletic Commission. Uh, Garbrandt isn't that big of a bantamweight. He doesn't cut all that much weight. So okay. you'd think with just an extra extra nutrition, a few trips to the performance center to see what's the best way to do it, a cut to flyweight could be possible. And I think as well, people have learned the mistakes that TJ made because TJ for all extents and purposes, stayed the same size, but just tried to cut the extra 10 pounds and just depleted himself of all kinds of energy that he just couldn't take the big shots. Because TJ was always chinny at the best of times anyway. But I think seeing what Jose Aldo did, a lot of people said, what are you doing going down to bantamweight? You're going to have the same thing happen to you. But Aldo cut, in my opinion, quite intelligently. And I think mm-hmm. that performance against Marlon Marias, you could argue he won a um, very close fight. But I think it was enough to make people think, hey, you know what, if I maybe I'm a bit more disciplined, if I cut in the right way, I can make this move work. And I think maybe Cody's seen that. 
Mm-hmm. If you definitely plan it out and you have it for a couple of months, like you have it planned out for a couple of months, you pretty much could do it if you're just intelligent about it and you got that discipline. But I couldn't imagine doing that. I think the other thing that's affecting Cordy as well is that he has been on bad with a fall. It's a free fight losing streak. Mm -hmm. He got stopped by Pedro Munoz, who has never been known as a big power puncher. And I think maybe mm -hmm. he's thinking to himself, I'm going to need to win three or four fights to get back into title contention. But if I go down to flyweight, which A, doesn't have all that many draws, and B, because I'm a former champion, they'll give me a fighter higher up the pedestal than what I maybe would be getting at bantamweight. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, you could put Garbrandt versus Formiga, and if Garbrandt gets that job done in the first two rounds, there you go, title fight. Him versus Davison or Benavidez. Mm hmm. You definitely got to think about it in, uh, in uh, basically his his shape as a former champion. Basically, he can sort of call the shots. He can basically get a top five opponent, and if he stamps that ticket, he's pretty much good to go. Especially because he has that aggressive style that the UFC finds so appealing. Because mm -hmm. you got to remember, Cordy was very young in his career when he got that fight against Dominic Cruz. And there's a lot of people thinking, well, he's only ranked number five. He hasn't faced anyone of North. What are you doing giving him his shots? The reason they did that mm -hmm. was because of how he was performing before that. I mean, he was the co-main on the Ronda pay-per-view. They thought really highly of him. Mm -hmm. I believe they thought of Cody as sort of this next superstar. I thought he was saw that Bruce fight. Mm -hmm. Who couldn't? <laughs> like, that was a huge deal. Well, one of the things I remember, and I have to hold my hands up, I, this is one of those big predictions that goes wrong. Obviously, the UFC free game was going to be coming out soon. And mm -hmm. they were saying, well, who's going to be on the cover for this one? I said, this is so up with what which happened here. I said, it would be Connor, Joanna, and Cody Garbrandt. <laughs> and then UFC 217 cool happens two weeks later. <laughs> yeah, that's not perfect timing. <laughs> Could you imagine if they released on it? Who would be the most left realistic but left field person who could appear on a UFC cover? Um, Kamaru Usman. <laughs> like, could you imagine how many people would be triggered? Like, let's like imagine if they put Colby on there, like a Morgan flag draped across his shoulder. <laughs> he's wearing his MAGA hat. I was just thinking of champions, but yeah, if you want to go that, I was thinking like Arlovsky or something. <laughs> they could put uh, put like Cerrone on there. That would be perfect, actually. A Cerrone. They should have multiple editions. You know how they have the GOAT edition? They should have like Cerrone edition, Nganu edition, and they stuff them full of microtransactions for the characters. Like you get an Nganu character in Fantasy League or whatever it is in UFC 3. That'll be perfect. I'm going to wait for the Paul Craig edition. <laughs> yeah. That'll be perfect. Or like a Ren and Burrell edition or something. That'll be perfect. We could talk about the, the UFC games, but let's say, let's say this happens. Cody Garbrandt does go down to 125. Who do you see him fighting, and how do you think he performs? Um... I can see, wow, he set up an LK versus Garbrandt. That'll be a 
good debut. <laughs> that would be a great debut for both of them in flyweight. But that's me fantasy matchmaking. But they could potentially do that if they set it up and he does end up going ahead with the flyweight. But I think personally, Cody will probably stick to bantamweight. I feel like there's too much smoke there for him to leave. Like too much unfinished business with like Aljamain and. Uh, sounds, uh, I mean, there's like, beatable yeah, guys for Cordy in that top five. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know why he's talking about leaving. So maybe he's just speaking his mind. I would have loved to have seen Garbrandt versus John Lineker. Oh yeah, that would have been insane. How how is John Lineker doing over in um, one championship now? I don't know. I believe they said that they signed him and nothing has happened yet i believe i don't know i'm not an expert on one like i am with horizon i don't stay up to date with one but i believe they're doing the same thing that they did with vitor they'll they'll sign him and then they'll just keep him on the back burner for a couple of years or something i don't know i can look it up but i don't think he's had a fight yet god i do John. i do remember that story about uh, vitor signing with uh, one championship because that was a big deal. They started showing him in the crowd a couple of times and saying he's going to be making his debut soon and all the shots started coming out of Vitor back on TRT just looking ridiculously muscular. And then it just, oh, yeah. it just seemed to die a death. I don't know if he maybe had a, mm-hmm. a change of heart, maybe called time on his career. I don't think Vitor gains all that much from fighting in one anyway. I think he's, his career is in a happy place. Yeah, I remember I went into, they had a, like, they stream everything on YouTube, and normally they got a guy in there on the account there answering questions, and I asked, what's going on with Vitor, when is he going to fight, and they said, something's cooking that you'll very much want to see, so just pay attention and be patient, please, <laughs> so, and nothing really happened. So I don't know, but John Lineker did fight. I did look it up. He did fight in one championship. It was in October, so that's why I couldn't remember it. It was such a long time ago, but yeah, he he did fight. To be fair, I think all the days are starting to blend into one right now. Yeah. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean what? Two months ago, we were in the aftermath of Connor versus Cowboy. That feels like yeah. an age ago. Mm-hmm. So many fight cards since then. It is. It's it's a very strange situation that's been happening in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's hard to really call back on these cars when nothing's really been happening. I think we've been quite it's lucky, hard to think about. I think we've been quite lucky in regards to this week because we've had a few sells a few stories, and obviously when the fight cards start getting up, these shows will be a lot easier than they are now. But the way I think think about it is, hey, we're quite new to this video podcast idea. We're probably not going to be slick. So if we do the episodes mm-hmm. now, try and iron out some of these issues, then we'll be ready to go properly when it matters the most. Mm-hmm. Definitely. During this slow period, that's a perfect time to experiment like this. And it is very slow right now because one of the things that's been quite funny for me is in regards to how the MMA journalists are approaching this. Obviously, a lot of them are doing stuff like this, doing Skype interviews and trying to talk to mm. people online. Um, Ariel Helwani, for example, she, he was interviewing uh, Valentina Shevchenko and like Chef was just like playing the ukulele and you, it was just funny, <laughs> so funny seeing Ariel's face in the corner there just sort of like this joyful sort of fanboy face just sort of <laughs> nodding along to it. 
because that was one of the stories as well, which was sort of maybe thinking about touching in a bit more detail, which was that uh, Shevchenko was supposed to be fighting Joanne Calderwood on the Australia card. Mm-hmm. She's picked up a leg injury. That fight's been pushed back. Likelihood is that card will probably be cancelled anyway. Um, anything to add in regards to that? Well, yeah, it's quite a bit strange because I remember when her last fight after, I remember hearing that she was going to be on a pretty long medical suspension. And then a couple weeks later, they announced the Calderwood fight. So everybody just seemed to forget about that. So (laughs) I I was a little bit strange, but I I sort of knew something like that was going to happen. It's a strange situation, I think, in my opinion, for Valentina because she's... She's obviously the girl when it comes to the flyweight division. She is leaps and bounds above everyone else. But I think because of that, it's quite hard to get uh, motivated to watch her fights. And that's nothing against people like Joanne Caldwell. I, th- I think Jojo is a very, very good fighter. And dare mm-hmm. I say if the flyweight division had started, say, 2013, 2014, she could well be that sort of Shevchenko figure. She could be sort of like the long-reigning champion who people respect and look up to. But I think there's a big jump between Valentina's Muay Thai and Joanne's Muay Thai. Mm, I don't want to say it would be a squash match. I think it would definitely be a little bit competitive, but I don't know. I still got my money on Valentina if that fight ever does end up happening. I think if you look at Valentina's flyweight opponents... Well, I'd say a title defences. I'll take you on about the equation. I think I think Juwan is the toughest test for Valentina mm-hmm. because she mm-hmm. has the striking to keep up, has the striking to potentially cause some problems. But I think she also has the ground game, and that was something that Shukasian mm-hmm. didn't have the ground game. I didn't have the striking. Carmouche didn't have the striking. I think Jojo's maybe a bit more of an all rounder, which helps, mm-hmm. helps in that regard. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at that fight. But I do hope that fight does go ahead, because, um, I mean, from a British perspective, we don't get many title contenders in the UFC. Mm-hmm. So I think Jojo would be number four. So I would like to see that happen purely from a biased perspective. Okay, yeah. What was your uh, thoughts when Till fought for the title then? Well, that was, just, that was a funny thing from our perspective, because... There wasn't really much fuss about Dan Hardy. When Dan Hardy got that shot at UFC, yeah. I think it was 111, he fought GSP. A lot of mm-hmm. people thought, well, he's just there to be a warm body for GSP. Nobody thought that Dan Hardy... We were proud of Dan Hardy, but we knew he wasn't really all that much of a threat. Bisping mm-hmm. was sort of a similar situation. It was sort of like, well, he's taking it on short notice. You never know what happens, but he is this guy who's been around for years. Let's <laughs> give it a go. And... I watched that with a few friends, 199, the place absolutely erupted. When that moment <laughs> Bisping hit that left hook and you saw Rockwell just stumble and then just fall onto his knee, you just thought, oh my god, <laughs> it's going to happen. Yeah, I could only imagine what England was like that night. I could only imagine the streets after that fight. <laughs> yeah, with Till, I think, I think a lot of people bought into the Darren Till hype a bit more because mm-hmm. yes Bisping had charisma but he was very much sort of a, a guy you love to hate sort of an anti-hero whereas Till was a lot more highly regarded by sort of the British MMA media and also as well Tyron Woodley wasn't all that popular 
Tyrion had a couple mm-hmm. of dull fights. So a lot of people thought, hey, unbeaten Brit, he's going to be fighting for the title. He's the bookmaker's favourite. He's more than likely going to win this fight. And Tyrion, to his credit, reminded people how good he can be. Yeah, that was probably Woodley's best performance, in my opinion. For a long time. For a long time. Mm-hmm. I think the way, for me, it's the way he neutralised Wonderboy. Mm-hmm. I mean, to take such a great striker like Wonderboy and have him unable to do anything. Second fight wasn't all that great. I still say the first fight was fantastic. I do like the second fight a little bit more because, well, not not like the whole fight as a whole. I mean the ending because it sort of did put a stamp on yes. it. You could see Woodley at the end. He pretty much almost finished Wonderboy there. And that sort of put the stamp on it. But yeah, in terms of like the fight as a whole, I did like the the original one, of course. <laughs> and I think people forget how good that first fight was because of how poor the second mm-hmm. fight was. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was a crazy fight. And that was like only the uh, was that the co co main or was that the co main? That was the core main. That was core main of two or okay. five, which was McGregor versus Eddie, and then mm-hmm. the and then obviously the second fight main evented. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that actually brings me on to a question. Now, I had a couple of questions in my mind here, but this is the section here where we'll get ourselves some viewer questions in. Unfortunately, due to the short notice nature of this recording, we weren't able to do so. Uh, We hope that people can get involved and maybe post in a few viewer questions for me and Claire to answer. Instead, we're going to be posing each other some questions. Now, I did have one in mind, but on that line of thinking, when we're talking about rematches, my question to you is... What is the worst rematch in MMA history? Oh, that's a good question. Um, hmm, probably I'm thinking here. <laughs> so I think I think of only good ones like Endo versus Vanderlei too. That's like one of the best ones. Um, Endo versus Shogun too. Yeah. Yeah, most of the time I'm thinking of rematches that put stamps on the first fight. <laughs> like, that's what the Shogun versus Endo second fight did, buddy. That was a good fight if you go back and rewind. Uh, probably... Uh... I don't know, what were you going to say? <laughs> Do you have one? I'm going to go a bit old school here. Ken Shamrock versus Dan 7-2, UFC 9. Okay. The dance in Detroit. Okay. How about... Man, that's a tough one. Can't think of one. <laughs> I can't think of one. If only Dada and Kimbo had a rematch, that would, that would come straight to my mind. <laughs> You've actually brought, brought me on to a couple of others, which, if we're going along that same sort of road of like rematches that shouldn't have happened, mainly regards to age, mm-hmm. um, Hoist versus Shambok 3, Tito versus Chuck mm-hmm. 3. Yeah, there you go. Horse versus Shamrock 3, the one in Bellator. That's that's probably my least favorite one. That's one that did not need to happen at all. And Chuck versus Tito 3. That one's probably that one's probably the saddest one to watch, it's definitely. Because I know... Yeah, that's awful. I was actually thinking about doing a video looking at like Oscar De La Hoya's venture into MMA, talking about like the behind-the-scenes stuff of Golden Boy. Um, but then I just sort of think to myself, could I really put myself through that? Because it was... The worst part was, was that everybody could see 
what was going to happen to Chuck. But I think Chuck, whether it was out of boredom, whether he still had that drive in him, he just seemed so dismissive of all these warning signs. Like Hackleman even said, hey Chuck, if you want to do this, that's fine. But I'm not going to be helping you. Like, that's definitely sad. And somebody should make a documentary about all that. Like, honestly, that's pretty depressing stuff. I should, uh, you know, uh, do you know Beige Frequency on YouTube at all? I'm aware of the name, yes. He, uh, he did, like, a Brendan Shaw documentary. I've been, I've been talking to that guy recently on Twitter. I should tell him to make a documentary of that. That'll be right up his alley. I've sort of lost my train of thought there. I was, I was going to say something else in regards to De La Hoya. I was sort of mentioning that. Yeah. Ah, that's it there. Um, it wasn't De La Hoya's first venture into MMA, though. Uh, if you remember Affliction, he was one of the names behind that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I believe somebody mentioned that to me recently. He was a little bit behind the scenes in that. Yes, because I think that it was... Uh, Essencio was pretty much the, the main man behind it. He was actually the guy who ran Affliction Clothing. You had Trump as the figurehead, and he was selling it in his Donald Trump way. And De La Hoya had a few bits and pieces in, and M1 Global were involved. I think Affliction did do a lot of things right. I think the production values were fantastic. But mm-hmm. um, they just spent so much money. I mean, you look at that card that they had for their first show. It was ridiculous the amount of fees they were paying. I think Tim Sylvia got something like $750,000 mm-hmm. for the Fedor fight. <laughs> Yeah, I remember reading about that. That's some insane money. They definitely paid Fedor like over a million dollars, I believe. Like, that's insane. <laughs> that's crazy. There's no way they could have kept on doing that. I don't think we'll ever see an upstart promotion having that going so big so soon. Yeah, I, they had everybody. I mean, I like what PFL are doing. PFL are doing things, in my opinion, the... Apart from the million dollars, but they're, they're slowly building their brand. And you've got guys like the Rory McDonald's of the world starting to come there, Auburn Mercier. So they've got guys who have a little bit of name power from their UFC experience. And I'm, I'm more intrigued about PFL now than I was the second season or the first season. Yeah, the last season was pretty rough to watch i'm not gonna lie there was a lot of times where i just wanted to turn it off but <laughs> like i'm not the biggest fan of pfl but their new roster i'll definitely tune into it pfl's issue is that it's too grappling heavy yeah and that was they try and force those points like those points to get higher up in the season or whatever but it just doesn't work i've never seen something like that work it's a it's a new concept though and I think that mm. one of the things that MMA promotions need to do is to try and embrace these new ideas. Because part of the reason WEC worked was that they saw, hey, the UFC aren't putting on featherweights and bantamweights, so we'll do it instead. And mm-hmm. WEC was fantastic, just the quality of its roster at the time. Oh, yeah, some of those Korean zombie fights they had. Watch the, insane stuff. Did you watch the Leonard Garcia fight? Oh yeah, that's like, that's a classic. Everybody always brings that up when you talk about WEC. Everybody always brings up that fight. What about you? What's your viewer question? Uh, where do you see the UFC ten years from now? Ooh. I was gonna say twenty, but that's a bit too far. Well, we don't even know what's gonna be happening to the UFC in the next ten months because 
they're going to, their finances are going to be taking a big hit because of what's been happening now. And it wouldn't surprise me if part of the reason why they're so desperate to have fights happening is because of what's been happening with Endeavour behind the scenes. Apparently, they've had mm-hmm. to furlough a couple of um, couple of the staff to try and drop down costs. So we don't know what will be happening in that regard. In terms of what I can see with the UFC, if it's still around in 10 years' time, I think one of the big things is we'll lose the specialists. I think we're sort of in those final throws right now where you've still got guys like Damian Meyer, Wonderboy Thompson, who are still elite-level fighters who can get away with not having the skills elsewhere. I don't see one of those sort of guys reaching the top of their game 10 years from now. Okay. So you think we'll see more like... um more complete set of fighters. We won't really be seeing like those Nganu types that just come up with just knockouts and knockouts. Like Shane Carwin is a good example when he got taken down and gassed out. You know, you don't think we'll see stuff like that. We'll see we will have heavyweight fighters. I think heavyweight okay. can still get away with it because of the risks involved. You can just get away with just having a big punch. There will always be guys who are better in certain areas, but we won't be getting karate fighters who start learning takedown defense. We won't be getting grapplers who learn how to strikes. We'll have people raised to be mixed martial artists. Mm-hmm. Okay. I see what you mean. Like, we won't get guys only training in karate. They'll be training completely in MMA. Yeah. They'll be going for the whole complete training set. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I could see that. In terms of financially... um. I think that Russia is going to become what Brazil used to be. Because it always used to be this time mm-hmm. where Brazil was this big hot hotbed of MMA talent. You had people like Anderson, Vitor, Machida, the Nogueira brothers, all those big Brazilian names. We're going to start to see Russia control. It wouldn't surprise me if we have four or five Russian champions in 10 years' time. Mm-hmm. Definitely sort of seems like they're becoming the new Brazil. It sort of seems like that surge of fighters is coming out of Russia. Like back in the day, there was only really people only really talked about Fedor. Like there wasn't really that much. Like you didn't really hear about the Makachevs or anything like that. Just sort of the uh, the Emilianenkos. That's really it. Like you didn't really hear about any of the Nurmagomedovs or anything. Not until recently with the huge explosion. Well, it was Karatonov as well. Karatonov had a bit of hype mm-hmm. around him and um, Rustam Kabalov. A lot of people thought mm-hmm. that people forget Kabalov was basically seen as what Khabib was today. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So Russia's always been there, but I think the big thing that Russia has is well, first off, Putin is a big combat sports fan himself. So he's always encouraged the idea of people taking up boxing or judo or sambo, etc. But I think as well, sambo especially translates very well into MMA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's sort of a sort of a mix between uh, all sorts of wrestling techniques. So I think that's part of the reason why I think Russia will start to really come to the fore. Mm-hmm. And I think okay. I think maybe we could see I could maybe see Brazil's downturn continuing further. Because I think because Brazil has always been more of a jiu-jitsu 
sort of community. I don't think jujitsu is as effective as was what it once was, because I think everybody knows jujitsu now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not really that mystical technique that not anybody trained. <laughs> it wasn't something that you could expose on every single fighter. So that's where I think we'll stand. I think we'll see the end of specialists, and I think that Russia will start to become much more of a powerhouse. And instead of us talking about the Brazil pay-per-view, we'll be talking about the Russia pay-per-view. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's part of the reason why they did the show in Abu Dhabi, you know, to test the waters to see if a Russia pay-per-view could work. Mm -hmm. Do you know the numbers on that pay-per-view? I don't know if it did crazy numbers. Well, that was after the ESPN deal. Okay. So we don't know those figures off by heart. I think the last one to attempted to say the last one that actually had pay per view buys was um, two thirty five, which was Jones versus okay. Smith. All right, that's <laughs> strange that we. That's the last one that we know. It's still strange to think that Anthony Smith headlined a UFC pay per view. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's insane. Not even in Nebraska or anything. Well, he was wanting to headline the Nebraska fight card against um, Glover. Mm -hmm. That was one of the locations that he dropped that he really wanted to fight in. I like Anthony Smith. He's mm -hmm. not the best fighter in the world. It's, it's, it's the man. And I think there was a lot of people, you know, who... They knew he wasn't going to beat John Jones. But they were so enamored by the underdog story. And I think Smith himself did a very good job selling him as such that people started to embrace it and think to themselves, you know what, he's going to lose, but you never know. Mm -hmm. I really like what he does behind the scenes yes. when he goes onto the commentator desk and stuff like that. I really like that. He's got this everyman quality about him, which endears him for mm -hmm. a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, that's a nice positive place for us to end this show. Uh, we did want to try and get this streamed. Uh, unfortunately, we had so many technical problems we weren't able to do so uh, mm -hmm. so what I'm going to do is I am going to be um, spending all night rendering this which is going to absolutely knack me um, and while that happens um, obviously I hope that people can continue to watch the show I did upload a new video last week which I thoroughly enjoyed making um, obviously maybe a bit more outside of our comfort zone when it comes to the world of mixed martial arts but I had a lot of fun making that one. Have you checked out any of your recent videos, Clay? Is there anything on your end? Um, right now I'm just stockpiling, getting a huge list out, and then hopefully I can start releasing them weekly. So that's my goal. You're a stockpiler. I'm, I'm the sort of person who mm -hmm. gets script done, wait for it to record, get it done, and just out on repeat. I think maybe uploading mm -hmm. it weekly might be a better approach, but... Hey, we're still working this sort of thing. I'm not one of these people who does this for the money. I'm just one of these guys who just enjoys mm -hmm. MMA, wants to try in different things in the world of broadcasting. Hopefully people will like this... Um, how should you put this? This side piece to the channel. Hopefully we will continue to do so over the next couple of weeks. We won't be streaming again, trust me. <laughs> All right. But until next time, thank you very much for joining us. My name's been Carl Bainbridge, that's been Claire Richardson. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Hopefully we're back again, not live, but we'll see you again on a pre-recorded 
episode. And hopefully as well, uh, I should get this out there before I forget. Uh, we also, if you aren't, if you're one of these people who just wants to enjoy this show again, or you're somebody who maybe doesn't have YouTube, wants to hear it elsewhere, we still have this available on our iTunes page. So please give us a like, post some comments, positive or negative, we don't really mind. Every little bit helps. And hopefully we can maybe make that as big as what this channel has been. 32,000 subscribers. I want to say a big thank you to anybody who has been supporting the channel. You have been mm -hmm. a fantastic help. And anybody who's been supporting Clay as well, his stuff has been so entertaining. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. But they're all right. <laughs> Until next time, though, um, compliments out the way. Thank you very much. And we'll be back next week. Hopefully, we'll have ourselves some more MMA news and finally find out what the hell is happening with UFC 249. Bye-bye for now.